Welcome to another edition of Hit The Lights podcast. We've got something slightly different today. We're Whilst we're keen on the electrical industry, we're going to be talking today about something that affects all electricians at some point in their careers. They will probably come across this particular issue. Um, and today we're going to be talking about asbestos. Um, I've got a very special guest. I've got Mr. Greg Byrne from RB Asbestos with me. How are you doing, Greg? I'm very good, thanks. So, Obviously, you're uh, not an electrician. You're somebody who deals with um, asbestos on a daily basis. So what, what was your journey into the world of asbestos? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. That uh, The one thing we tend to say about people in the asbestos industry is no one ever started out life saying, I want to go into the asbestos industry because, like most people, it's something you've just never heard of. So most people, pretty much uh, exactly the same for myself, literally take a left turn or a swerve from a different career uh, into it and mine I was actually trained in sports science uh, worked in London for a couple of years and then um, I got an offer to uh, to join a company uh, in the asbestos industry with a friend of mine which I did and that was back in the 1980s and um, it's one of those industries that once you get stuck in it you just seem to stay there so th that was mine just literally sort of uh, a left turn from working in sports science and the sporting industry over to over to asbestos. All right. OK, so how, how did that transition happen then? What what was it that triggered your uh, interest, shall we say, into wanting to make that change? Yeah. So um, like I was saying, I took a, a swerve from a different um, a different field in sports science. And it wasn't really the fact that I knew anything about asbestos because I, I completely didn't. It was more the fact it was a friend of mine was in the industry. There was an opportunity. Um, I, I didn't feel like I could go a long way in the particular industry. Uh, sports science back in the 80s was was fairly underused. So this opportunity came up. knew nothing about asbestos. Um, they offered me the chance to train up. And uh, and really, the rest is history. I've, I've just sort of stayed in it ever since. No, that's that's really good. So, I mean, how did you um, did you get taken on by a, a, a company and to develop yourself? Yeah, so it was, it was a small firm in the northwest of England, which were owned by, by a larger company. Uh, and they basically worked in the field of asbestos testing, asbestos air testing, that type of thing. So the, uh, the, the standard sort of entry into the industry back then would have been a short training course and then really pretty much six on six months on the job training with with uh, people who are more specialized more uh, uh, used to doing that particular type of work and then slowly learning the trade and then being let loose more and more on your own over time no i mean yeah i mean that sounds like the the ideal development doesn't it in in a similar way to electricians yeah absolutely I'll, I'll dive straight in so i've got plenty of obvious questions so hopefully you can educate me today Sure. Um, the, the first one uh, is probably the broadest one. What is asbestos? Yes, good question. And it's actually, it sounds like a deaf question, but it's actually a good question because a lot of people don't know. They actually use the phrase asbestos. Um, and what they're often talking about is, is something slightly different. Now, asbestos itself is a mined rock mineral that's dug out the ground and it's a fibrous mineral. So, and it's rare that you actually see asbestos in its raw state. In most cases, you would come across it inside another material, and we tend to call those asbestos-containing materials. So you might be on a job somewhere, and you, you find a bit of boarding, and the asbestos will be a fibre that's inside that boarding. And they put it in for lots of different reasons. They put it in for binding, for strength. They put it in for fire protection. Lots of different, uh, lots of different reasons. Right. Okay. 
wasn't there a town in canada called asbestos is that where primarily the name came from or is it is that a coincidence is that something i've misread uh, no, it, it, well, you're kind of right on both. Um, the word asbestos is actually a Greek word, uh, meaning unquenchable. But um, there is a town in Canada called uh, Asbestos, and I think there's one in Russia as well called Asbest. So they sort of picked up and run with that name. Uh, and asbestos was mined globally in lots and lots of places. It's sort of shrunk down over the years, and the, the main countries mining it now really would be places like Russia, India, China. Canada stopped mining it a couple of years ago uh, under sort of popular pressure from local residents and, and people generally in the world. But um, the bizarre thing about asbestos is the demand for asbestos fibre hasn't really changed much over the past 20, 30 years. Um, but the number of people or the number of countries mining it has gone down. And it's um, what a lot, a lot of people don't realise is that roughly 80 percent, 75, 80 percent of planet Earth still use asbestos and asbestos products and 25 percent don't. And, and that 25 percent really is sort of predicated around the European Union and North America to a certain extent. Right. I mean, that's a crazy statistic to you know have the awareness that we have now of, of such a product and uh, material and to still be using it for that much of the world is, is it's insane yeah and i think the question people should ask themselves is why is that still happening i mean we know from pretty much stacks of evidence that asbestos is the number one global occupational killer not just in the uk but in the rest of the world uh, the world health organization their figures generally sort of talk around about 105 to 115,000 people a year globally dying from it but they're looking at revising those figures upwards by by a large amount as more information comes in. It's the it's the biggest industrial and occupational killer in the UK still by a country mile. And you think knowing all that that we that we do something about it, and people are trying to do something about it. But it comes down to the same reason, and that's profit. Um, mm. People are making money from mining asbestos and selling asbestos products, and they don't like letting profit go. You could sort of uh, compare that to the tobacco industry or drugs industry that type of thing yeah no definitely so is it still legal then in um this country in particular no so in in the uk we banned asbestos um uh, kind of over a sort of a, um, a semi-protracted period of time uh, the, the main sort of ban came in on brown and blue asbestos in 1985 but then eventually we banned all asbestos in the UK in, uh, in 1999, and we tend to use 2000 as the cutoff date. So for most tradespeople, if you're working in a building built after 2000, there shouldn't be any asbestos in there. You get the odd anomaly, but in most cases, post 2000, we should be okay. Anything pre 2000, there's a chance it has asbestos in, and that's why we, uh, as a rule, uh, have to. Well, when I say as a rule, it's in the asbestos regulations. Anything pre 2000 that isn't a domestic property, we have to uh, we have to manage asbestos within those um, within those buildings. Right. Okay. So, in terms of the the legislation and things around it, how, how did we how did we capture that? Were we capturing that under COSH previously up until the year 1999? Uh, yeah, uh, it would probably have come under, uh, there were various asbestos regulations sort of coming in from the 80s, but it really starts to take off after 1999 to a, to a sort of more uh, firm extent, shall we say. And cost regulations um, tends to cover materials that are, are dangerous, but not really dangerous. 
when materials are considered really dangerous, things like lead and asbestos, they tend to get their own set of regulations. So we went through regulation changes in 2002, 2006. The most up-to-date set of regulations currently are from 2012. And pretty much everything that we do in the UK um, defaults or defers back to those particular regulations. And when you sit down and read them, they're like most typical regulations, they're quite sort of heavy going. And there's lots of guidance around that show you how to make sure you meet the regulations. But they're actually a really, really good set of regulations. And they're designed, uh, I would say, not in principle, but almost in principle, to protect the individual from asbestos. The problem is people just aren't aware of the regulations and what they actually mean and what they say. So what, what, what are those regulations again, just so that people can go and uh, have a little Google of them? Yeah, control of asbestos regulations 2012. Uh, that's what it all defaults back to. Like I say, if you try to read them in their sort of uh, in the, almost the, the legal way they're written, again, it's quite hard to get your head around. So what, that's why it's always important to to sort of, you know, get some knowledge through training, asbestos awareness training. And it is a legal requirement in the UK for anybody. This isn't just electricians. This is for anybody who works in buildings where they may encounter asbestos, people who supervise them. It's a legal requirement that they have some form of asbestos awareness training. And that's in most cases up to the employer to make sure that happens. Or if you're self-employed, then you have to uh, you have to do that yourself. It probably leads into the the next element of my questions then. So what are the types of asbestos? Yeah, uh, it's an interesting area. This People often talk about the types of asbestos and in terms of risk. And that's actually the wrong way to look at it. There's three main types of asbestos came into the UK and they were white, brown and blue. If you wanted to give them their, their proper names, you'd be talking about chrysotile, amosite and chrysidolite, the chemical names that you will see. And if you send samples off to laboratories, those are the sorts of phrases or words that you would get back from them. The way to look at asbestos is all asbestos is dangerous. And when I talk about asbestos, I mean the fibres and the fibre types. The way to really look at asbestos is in terms of the different types of materials that it that it's generally added to. So there are certain asbestos products which we will consider high risk. They could be things like pipe insulation, asbestos boards. Then there would be um, things we consider low risk, things like floor tiles or artex to a certain extent. And the, the reason is, is the difference between the materials in such that some materials have a very low content of asbestos in them, floor tiles, artex, and then some have a very high content of asbestos in them, pipe lagging, boards can be anything between 40 and 100% asbestos, whereas floor tiles could be something like 2% asbestos. So the way to look at asbestos really is in terms of the actual product. It's a much better way of looking at it. You know, that's really interesting because obviously Artex being probably the most common um, interface that an electrician will have in terms of uh, asbestos, I would gain, uh, I would guess, other than probably any anything in lofts and things like that and, and regular contact with that. So is there is there any recommendations you would make if they were coming into a, a property? Let's say it's pre the year 2000. They suspect that there may be Artex and they, they've been asked to do a load of spotlights what what would be the first step for them yeah I, there's kind of a few questions in that in that question and I'm, I'm glad you picked up artex artex is a low risk material there's not a great deal of asbestos in it so if you drill it what's the level of exposure it won't be high but there will be exposure now how many times does an electrician need to drill artex with asbestos in 
before that level of asbestos builds up in the lungs to a, an area where it's going to to an amount where it's going to cause them a problem. The World Health, World Health Organization say there is no known safe level of exposure to asbestos. And the problem with Artex is because it's low risk, people think, oh, if I drill that, there's not going to be much exposure. But then you drill it next week and then drill it a few weeks later and a few months later, and it can start to build up. Every asbestos fibre that you breathe in stays in your body for the duration of your life. Your body cannot get rid of it. So what you want to avoid is building up um, building up levels of asbestos in your body because there's two main illnesses. One's asbestosis, and that is prolonged exposure to asbestos as it builds up in the lungs and causes scarring. This is, these are simple explanations I've been given to you. And yep. then there's another one called mesothelioma. Now, mesothelioma is the one that we, we kind of don't know a great deal about, but is the one we need to be most worried about because mesothelioma kind of has two sort of facts about it, both which are which still blow my mind today. One is mesothelioma is the most avoidable type of cancer on the planet, pretty much, because you don't get it unless you breathe asbestos in. However, also on the flip side of that, it's pretty much the least survivable cancer on the planet. So if you get it, for most people, it's a one way ticket. Um, I can't think of any other cancer where, where they have a, um, a sort of a worse rate of, of it killing people to a certain extent. And if you look in the UK, who's most likely to be affected by those two illnesses uh, from an occupational point of view? The HSE's own figures say that the three trades who are most affected by asbestos are electricians, plumbers and joiners. So when we talk about things like Artex being low risk, yes, it is. But it's that repeated exposure that we need to be worried about. Now, what the law says is before you work in any property, you should have some form of asbestos information and asbestos survey to identify where the asbestos is. And generally, your employer gets that done for you. Um, if you're self-employed, you should be arranging that um, to be done yourself. So, so from a, a legislation point of view, in effect, electricians shouldn't be working in any property built before 2000 without some form of asbestos survey or asbestos information. Now, if you're in the corporate world or you're in the contracting world and you, you work in a big company full of electricians, generally uh, an asbestos survey should be done and you will know where the asbestos is before you start drilling. It's more difficult when you're in the domestic environment where they don't hold asbestos information, but the law still says you should be getting asbestos information and a survey before you start work. Now, that makes it difficult for your, for your small one-man, two-man band electricians because every job they go to, they're going to be saying to the customer, look, we need an asbestos survey before we start. It's going to be an extra couple of hundred quid. And they go, well, I'm not paying that. I'll use someone else. So commercially, there's more pressure on them to sort of maybe not uh, comply with the law in the right way. But the way to look at it is it, it's your own exposure and the exposure of people in the property that you're working in. So from a, um, it, it's not particularly legal, but from a sort of a sensible point of view, any property built before 2000, but particularly ones built around the 50s, 60s, 70s and into the early 80s, where asbestos is more likely to be present, I would certainly consider getting some form of, of sample or test done on uh, materials that you're going to drill or just treat them as asbestos and, and work your way around them in, in some safe way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's obviously great advice. Um, how do you test for it? Yeah, great question. So uh, as a surveyor, what we do is um, I can kind of answer two questions in one here. So when we survey a building, 
we effectively do an inventory of every space in the building. So the lounge is room one, the kitchen's room two, so on and so forth, roof space. So we build up this sort of um, Lego block system of identifying each space in the building. We describe all the building materials in there and we sample anything that looks suspicious or we think may contain asbestos. That small sample, generally about a, a thumbnail size, not a great deal bigger, would be sent to a laboratory and they, um, it's quite technical, I won't go into it in any de detail today, but they basically test it for the asbestos and you will get a result coming back, generally telling you what type of asbestos is in it. And in some cases, they tell you what the material is. That what, Telling you what the material is can be quite important because for some of the higher risk materials, um, the best way to explain this would be, if you look at how many asbestos containing materials are out there in the built environment, we're around about 4,000. That, that's 4,000 different materials that contain asbestos. Although that's a wide scope and you tend to get more generic or traditional ones in certain types of buildings, Artex, boards, pipe insulation, etc. So the treatment of those 4,000 materials falls into two groups. And those groups are we call high risk and low risk. Anything that's high risk, you can only work on or, or do anything with if you have a license from the government. That's a licensed asbestos contractor. Anything lower risk, you potentially can work on yourself, but again, you need the appropriate training, equipment, face fit, uh, P3 masks, HEPA filter vacuum cleaners, etc. So you can't work on any asbestos materials, drilling, cutting, sawing, sanding, painting, anything, unless you are as a minimum for low risk stuff trained, but for the high risk stuff, you have to have a license. So that, that's, that's an important criteria, isn't it, to know? Yeah make it a little bit more slightly specific to an electrician i think typically when i've come across um, asbestos in the past it's typically been in old red spot fuse boards um in the carriers which i think i believe is the chrysotile type typically correct um so what if i was to come across that i'm i'm looking to remove it what what's the what's the good practice things i should do from that point onwards yeah, it's, that's an interesting one, actually. I've been asked that question by electricians lots of times, and, and you, you've kind of got um, a foot in each camp here, one as an asbestos specialist, but then my other foot needs to be in the camp of um, an electrical specialist, which I'm not. So I, I kind of discuss these with electricians. And in terms of taking the actual flash guard out of a fuse box, what electricians are telling me is you shouldn't be doing that Um just, just disregard the asbestos element for a minute. This is you shouldn't be taking the asbestos out because it potentially could affect the the working capability of that fuse box. So if that information I've been told is correct, then in theory, what should happen is that fuse box becomes uh, one that's been replaced. So in that situation, once it's been uh, powered down, you basically keep the fuse box closed. Uh, seal it up with a bit of visqueen and then cut it off at top and below and it would be taken away and um, treated as asbestos waste effectively. So what you're doing is, is you're boxing the asbestos waste, waste up, it's being wrapped in visqueen and then it's being taken to an appropriate facility um, where other asbestos waste would go to. Um, now, electrical, I would agree that that would be one of the areas where um, electricians would come across asbestos the most in physical electrical equipment but for me where electricians really need to be careful is when they run cables because they're running cables and they're going into ceiling voids they're going through fire breaks they're going through walls 
um, they're attaching to things uh, and that's when I tend to see as a surveyor tend to see the mistakes they've made I've seen them fixing conduit to uh, asbestos which is licensed material and drilling it cutting it sawing it knocking holes in it so I would think the risk from asbestos infused box for the average electrician is really really low it's all the other stuff around that they're doing when, the, when they're installing systems okay yeah no that's fair enough would you need um in a similar kind of manner with waste transfer licenses or anything like that to remove it yourself or or anything like that from the from a premises yeah exactly what i said before really so any work with um the phrase they tend to use in the asbestos regulations is working with asbestos so if you're working with a fuse box got asbestos in it um that that would be deemed working with um, you could make an argument that if you're not opening the fuse box, you're keeping it closed uh, and it's visqueened up and sealed, then it would be OK for the um, electrician to take that off the wall, put that down to one side, keep it safe. But then, as you rightly point out, from that point where it's being removed, um, you, you either need the appropriate certification and, and training and information uh, and means of getting it to a, a facility yourself. Or in most cases, what people do is they would tend to um I wouldn't say hang on to them. I don't really like that phrase, but they would get some a specialist company to come and take them away for you. Uh, and and the, the, some of the electricians I work with do exactly that. So on a particular job, they might be replacing 20, 30, 40 of these old fuse boxes. They keep them in one place, sealed in a room, and then um, a company will come along, put them in a sealed locking skip, take them away to a, an asbestos waste facility, and then they get uh, a note that sort of confirms that's happened. So it's it's um it's that traceability element of the asbestos being removed from a building and uh, where it's gone to. So say for example, you, you're on a commercial job, it's a big factory, you've removed 20, 30 of these fuse boxes, the HSE come along and say, oh, see all your fuse boxes are gone, what happened to those? Somebody might say, well, we just chucked them in a skip. Well, then they wouldn't be particularly happy with that, would they? So the fact that you've got um, information from an electrician showing he's trained, he's done this work, You've then got the traceability of uh, the asbestos in the fuse boxes going to another facility in the right manner and you've got a, a waste note coming back that's signed by everybody they can see that you've done the job properly and it's gone to the right place and you've not employed some idiots to just sort of uh, take it in the back of a van and throw it in a river yeah no definitely uh, so uh, that probably leads into my my next uh, i say obvious question but the um this may apply more commercially industrially because obviously like you say you're more likely to have the uh, asbestos registers and bits and pieces like that but i suppose i'll aim it uh, domestically but should we be reporting this under riddor at all um or as near misses if you're coming into contact or is it an encounter with asbestos a definite you've had the accident as such yeah, that's a really good question, actually. A lot of, a lot of people get confused by the RIDOR uh, regulations and how it relates to asbestos. From my experience, what I've seen is if you drill some Artex and then complain to the HSE, they're pretty much not interested. They would deem it low risk, low level, uh, you've done wrong, sort yourself out, get on with it, um, you know, use the appropriate protocols and controls. They tend really to only get involved when it's been uh, an exposure of what we consider a more dangerous or licensed material. So let's say a, um, an electrician has drilled an asbestos insulation board. Um, asbestos insulation board, in most cases, if you can see it uh, and it's not papered over or painted over, tends to be a light grain colour. But when you drill it, you get a vast amount of asbestos coming off. 
So if somebody's drilled it and, and exposed the people around them to asbestos, I would suggest that would be a riddle. Uh, and it's a self-reporting system. So you have to contact the HSC yourself or if it's your employer, they would do it. Um, they contact the HSC and say, look, this has happened. Maybe our fault, maybe not our fault, but it's happened and have to report it. And then the HSC would get involved. So but the difficulty with that, as you can imagine, is getting employees to self-report to the HSC that they've done something wrong is, is it doesn't often happen. So lots of these events go um, unchecked and unnoticed. Is, is there any way we can encourage that or change that? It, it, it's a difficult one. Yeah, I do. I mean, the HSC, I feel sorry for them uh, under the uh, and I'll try not to make this political, but under the uh, current government, they uh, they've had their, the numbers cut. They've had the buildings sold. They've had the, um, the amount of money they've got available reduced. Um, the government would prefer them to be self-funding. So when the HSE come out, they normally charge you. Um, and it's they tend not to come out unless something really bad happens or, or there's a, a complaint of a serious nature. So in terms of electricians going out there now and reporting, um, they may get frustrated because um, nothing will happen. And I've got lots and lots of instances where people in domestic properties, these are tenants, are, have, have had electricians come in, drill Artex that they know has got asbestos in. They then complain to the Housing Association, nothing happens. They've complained to the HSE, nothing happens. Complained to the Environmental Health, nothing happens. Gone to the local newspaper, not really interested. Gone to the local MP, can't be bothered. Uh, and you kind of feel for them a little bit. Um, but it's because people have got this sort of um, attitude towards the lo lower risk materials that are, it's, you know, it wouldn't have been much of an exposure. But I always come back to the same thing. How many how many of these not much of an exposures do you need before it can cause you a serious problem? And the answer is we just don't know. Mm. In terms of the key responsibilities, then let, let's aim that first at homeowners. What, what are some homeowner uh, key responsibilities? Other than obviously not being aware of what they do have. Yeah, well, the asbestos regulations really don't apply to, in terms of managing asbestos, to the domestic environment. So generally, the homeowner doesn't have any legal responsibilities. The protection element for employees working in domestic property comes via the employer. So what the employer has is a duty to keep their employees safe from asbestos, um, identify any asbestos before they start work, and have a plan of work to make sure they can work safely in that property or environment. Uh, and again, because it's the domestic environment and what you're doing, you're turning up saying it's, you know, a thousand pounds to put some new cabling in, um, but we need another 200 quid to do a survey as well. They're going to the other electrician who's doing a thousand pounds to put the cabling in, but doesn't need or isn't asking for an asbestos survey. So it, it's much more difficult in the asbestos environment. If you are a homeowner uh, and you're listening to this, um, I would certainly, if you've got people working on your property, um, if they're not going to get the asbestos survey, commission one yourself. I mean, might be a couple of hundred quid, might be a little bit less, a bit more, depending on the size of the house and where it is. But, you know, that kind of information could save your life. And people often ask us as surveyors, how often do we find asbestos in the property we survey? So if, if I put the question to you, Gary, how often do you think uh, we find asbestos in the properties we survey as a percentage of the properties? So if you picked 100 properties at random, domestic and commercial, how many do you think we find asbestos in? Oh, God. Um, I would probably say something as high as probably 80, 85 percent. 
you know, a million miles it actually, because we work in, in, in commercial and domestic, and I regularly check to see what percentage we're finding it in. We're currently at 92. I mean, that's still a heck of a substantial amount, yeah. isn't it? So Yeah, that's 92% of, of all properties we survey. Uh, so it's bonkers. It's still out there, lots and lots of it. Bear in mind, a lot of it is low-risk materials, but um, it's it's there. So people are going to, by default and design, unfortunately, in some cases, be exposed to it. And if you are – we actually live – our country has the highest um, per capita rate of mesothelioma, which is, is the really bad one of the two asbestos-related diseases. We have the highest per capita rate in the world, in the UK. And the reason is, is uh, well, there's two reasons, really. One is people were being exposed to it. People put it in buildings, take it out of buildings and drill it, cut it and saw it. But the other reason is the UK was one of the largest places on planet Earth for making asbestos products. So here we had double exposure. We had the people working in the factories making asbestos products. And then we've got the people putting it into buildings, taking it out of buildings. And it, I mean, I do asbestos awareness training for um people going into the electrical industry so these are people just starting out young guys girls 18 20 23 and the first question i always ask them at the start of a course is what is most likely to kill you in your working life in the electrical industry and what answer do they always come back with i'm assuming electricity <laughs> electric shock absolutely yeah. but it isn't not even falling off ladders it's asbestos and the HSC's own figures will show you that. I mean, how many people die by electric shock or falling off ladders every year in the UK? Uh, and that's anybody. You're talking tens or twenties of people, maybe. If you look at the number of people dying from asbestos every year in the UK, and these are people who have uh, breathed in, in an occupational environment in most cases, it's over 5,000 people. So, so there's nothing comes close to asbestos uh, as a danger in the working environment for most people. So it's kind of getting that across to people, really. I mean, up until about five years ago, you had to do asbestos awareness training every year by law. Now, I can't think of any other training they force you to do every 12 months, certainly in, in the sort of uh, the industries that we work in. So it, it, it's really important that people get trained and, you know, because that, that's a great starting point. I always say to people who come on my courses, right at the start, the only person who will ever fully protect you from asbestos is you. If you wait around for other people to do it, it's not going to happen. If you go online and look at the HSE's prosecutions, you see all the big names on there. Big companies time and time again being prosecuted. Why? Because it's a lack of education, lack of awareness. Profit's more important in a lot of cases for some people. So it's. Uh, I think my, my sort of push for people would be get some form of training on there. You can do online training, which is okay, but face-to-face, -face, if you can do it and, and you can get the time, is is much better. What what would you recommend for someone to do, an electrician, if they were to come into contact? What was the first uh, few steps that they should make? I think that the, the, the simplest thing is is to stop what you're doing. Um, and then if, if you're sort of part of a company, you tell your supervisor, charge hand or boss, yeah, I hear lots of stories about, oh, don't worry, it's not dangerous or it's it's the low-risk stuff, it won't affect you or just put a bit of water on it. It's all complete and utter rubbish because I always say to people, imagine a guy from the HSC stood next to you at your shoulder saying, right, okay, talk me through what that material is and what you're going to do to it. And and if you can't answer those questions in a way that protects you and them and the people around you, then 
then you're blagging it to a certain extent. So you should be getting it tested. You, you can actually get material tested and a result back the same day. So it, it's not a kind of a long time of downing tools. Um, I work with um, lots of people in the construction industry who are well experienced. And in some cases for low risk materials, they're comfortable and they know how to safely take a small sample and they run it to a lab and they can get results the same day, worst case the following day. Cost wise, you could be talking like 10, 20 quid, something like that, not particularly expensive. If you're getting a, a company like ours that come out, you're going to pay a bit more because the guy's coming out, he's trained, you know, he's got a drive there, he's got insurance, all that type of stuff. But um, on the whole, to get material tested isn't expensive and doesn't take a long time. So it's always worth getting tested before you before you move on. Is there when you when you go to seek this testing, is there a I'm going to say a license like a trademark or something somebody should be looking for? Are there any rogue traders in that sense that are out there? No, good question. Um, all people who or all companies and organisations who test material for asbestos have to be accredited to something called UCAS. That's the United Kingdom Accreditation Service, UKAS. Um, are there any rogue ones out there? I've not come across any because normally they get found out pretty quick and shut down. There are lots of companies around the UK who do testing. Uh, we use lots of them. They're all very good, to be fair. Um, and you tend to find there's not many locations where, you, where you're a long way away from a company who tests it. So right across the length and breadth of the UK and, and Great Britain, you should be able to find uh, companies that test. Um, when you start going abroad into other countries, it's a little bit more difficult. But certainly in the UK, we've got a good spread of, of testing companies. And as from what I've seen, they're all really good, to be fair. What was, was some of the long term um, health consequences obviously you've mentioned asbestosis so can you expand on those slightly a bit more uh, you know i know um it's probably fairly morbid but it's probably good to make people aware of what the consequences are yeah absolutely so um asbestosis like i say you you would probably say that today as we sit here the number of people with asbestosis um every year tends to be going down uh, and probably a little bit faster than the other disease mesothelioma and the reason for that is, is you don't get as much prolonged heavy exposure, which is what causes asbestosis um, these days. So with asbestosis, that's prolonged breathing asbestos in. Your lungs are filling up constantly. And like I said, your body can't get rid of asbestos. And where the asbestos is attaching itself to the inside of the lungs, it's causes a scarring effect. That scarring effect prevents um, oxygen being passed through the lung tissue into the bloodstream. So some of the asbestosis is... is they're really struggling to breathe. And it tends to be once you're diagnosed with it, the end of your work in life and, and in, in, in later sort of uh, cases where it's further on, you're struggling to breathe, getting around. And life generally is pretty crap. Mesothelioma is a brutal, horrendous disease. And we don't know why some people get it uh, and some people don't. What we think is the latest thinking is there may be some genetic reason. So me and you could work side by side for 40, 50 years in the electrical industry breathing asbestos in every day you nothing could happen to you but me yeah after six months of breathing the stuff in i could then be on the road to get get mesothelioma but interesting the thing about mesothelioma is it is effectively a delayed disease and the way i describe it to electricians and everybody else who does our training courses it's like a, a landmine with a delayed fuse so the landmine step on it goes bang with the mesothelioma, mesothelioma landmine you step on it it goes click and then nothing happens and then nothing happens and then 25 40 50 years later it goes bang 
uh, and that's what happens. So it's this, um, it's basically the body's own cells attacking asbestos fibers and these cells mutate and become cancerous and that's the start of a mesothelioma tumor. And in most cases, when you diagnose with it, the life expectancy generally isn't greater than three to six months. Um, and like I say, I, I do where I can work with uh, people who've got mesothelioma, help out a little bit on the um, on the charity side, give give talks to to people, and go meet them. The reason is because these people you're diagnosed with this disease that you've never heard of. You're then told it's going to kill you. Um, so the first thing, you, the shock, the this fear, the, there's you know. Uh, what's it going to be like what's it like for my family when all that's calmed down you then start thinking well how have i got this disease and that's when i talk to them about where they likely to have been exposed and some of the people i meet with this disease um you know you just think why the why are these guys getting it so you're talking about teachers actors um there's there's a there's some young people in the uk with mesothelioma and, and normally it's a 25 year incubation period but it, it's a horrible disease that you wouldn't wish on anyone. It generally, when you meet people, it's it's pretty soul destroying sometimes. Yeah, like you previously said, it's um, it's throughout buildings, it's throughout structures. You know, predominantly, I've I've encountered it in um, schools. Um, typically, those are the ones who are thrusting a register in front of my face when I when I enter. Yeah, you see, see there again. I mean, that, that's poor management. I mean, just shoving a register under somebody's nose. If I was from the HSC, I'd say, I'm sorry, that that's not good enough. It isn't because sticking a register under somebody's nose is a good starting point. But if if you as an electrician go into a school and you're exposed to asbestos, generally there's two people at fault. It's your employer for not ensuring he's got the right information and planned your work safely, and then it's also the duty holder of the school for make, for not making sure the other person was given the right information. So you can give somebody some asbestos information, but how do you know they've read it? How do you know they've gone through it? And you get in a court situation, a good barrister's going to pull a school apart saying, OK, you shoved a, a 400 paid register under the nose of my client. What, what, you know, did you make sure he read it? Did you, mm. did you check to see he'd read it? Did he sign to say he'd read it? No, there's so many holes in these in these school situations. And I mean, the government's own figures, 82% of schools in the UK have still got asbestos in. We work in, in them all the time. Some of the stuff we see is frankly unbelievable, the, the state of some schools and asbestos in them. So where, where it's really frustrating is, okay, the kids are in those schools and generally they're not banging into the asbestos or in some cases they are, but they're running around in big spaces, they're outdoors. But as soon as maintenance people come in, electricians, they're crawling around in these holes, in these areas. What I also say to people in our courses is my kind of golden rules are, if you're going into smaller spaces in older buildings, I'm talking about ducts, plant rooms, roof voids, um, ceiling voids. If you go into those places, I mean, there's asbestos in there in a lot of cases, but there's other things, there's fiberglass, there's, there's pigeon crap, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that's got no good for your lungs. Get a mask. Get the right kind of mask. It's got to be an FFP3 minimum. Make sure you've got a face fit test. Make sure you've got um, disposable overalls. And if you keep using those, what you're doing is stopping yourself from adding to any asbestos that's already in your lungs. Yeah, and no, definitely. I mean, there's no shortage of masks available now, is there? So. No, absolutely. Yeah. The next thing I was going to kind of come on to, and you kind of touched on it there. It, I appreciate it's probably not directly an asbestos related question, but is there a is there a new asbestos that we should be concerning ourselves with? Is there a new risk or danger 
that people aren't necessarily familiar with obviously we're talking about the likes of artex pipe lagging fuse boards is that is there anything where you're finding it's creeping up and becoming more virulent in the in the trades yeah probably silica silica is the big one um silica really um is starting to be treated the same way as asbestos i mean go down your high street on a i don't know friday afternoon and there's a couple of guys with circular saws cutting paving stones blocks there's dust flying around everywhere nobody's got a mask on um any kind of construction environment um silica is probably the one that we would start to to worry about to be honest the way to look at it is dust any form of dust is going into your lungs so make sure you protect yourself from whatever kind of dust it is whether it's asbestos silica any fiberglass any other kind of dust at all because you know you've only got one set of lungs and if you keep sort of letting them be affected at some point it may you know it may be too late for you it may turn around and bite you in the backside so wherever possible you know people don't like wearing masks they're uncomfortable you get hot you know people feel a bit claustrophobic in them but there's good masks out there and if you if you're trained how to use them and if you carefully if you look after them and change the filters it really could you know save your life no i think that's a brilliant brilliant message to probably end the on the podcast on um i do have one final question it's one i asked to all of my my guests uh what is your favorite movie oh goodness me um you know it's a difficult one that really uh, there's so many good movies over the years um yeah and you tend to think about ones that you've seen more recently um i was a top gun fan back in the 80s and i saw the latest one recently and it was very good if you're going to see it see it on a big screen um oh goodness me i'm gonna have to say the wizard of oz that was left field you know he started with top gun i didn't know well it's for a slightly perverse reason and that's because in sort of 1920s 30s hollywood um when it was filmed indoors and they needed snow they used asbestos and if you watch that movie you'll see a particular part in it where um i think dorothy's walking through what looks like a field almost like a cornfield and it starts snowing and you get a close-up of her face and that's actually asbestos on her face yeah I, I did hear that one quite a while ago as a bit of a movie fact it's very cringy now isn't it it, it is and if, if you ever want to read a book it, which is absolutely bonkers it's it I can't what it's called but it's about the making of that movie and how they from a health and safety point of view if you read that book how they ever made that movie without killing more people is, is unbelievable you're talking about people nearly being burnt to death asbestos all kinds of stuff it's absolutely mental but it's uh but yeah, it's your so, favorite <laughs> yeah, yeah it comes on at christmas you can't go wrong with it, can you? <laughs> no fair play no no thank you very much for your for your time it's been um really insightful and fascinating so yeah thanks again yeah no enjoyed it thank you Gary. and thank you everyone for listening